Hello and welcome to another wonderful edition of the Film Pulse podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 119. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing... I'm doing... Doing? Okay. I'm doing okay. I got like a sinus infection. Yeah, I hear you sniffling. Like, yeah, it's like the seventh one this year. Mm. I think the nosebleeds are back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm starting to think I should get this checked out. It's probably. I don't just think the... there should be that much. I don't think there should be that much blood in my sinuses. It's probably just the weather. It's probably like your the pollen count and all that stuff's probably messing with your head. Must be. Well, today we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching before getting into two feature reviews. This week we'll be talking about Seth MacFarlane's A Million Ways to Die in the West and the Swedish film We Are the Best. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's talk about some of what we've been watching. Kevin, kick it off. Kick it off with me. I started out with the Mario Bava film from 1966, Kill Baby Kill. This is one I haven't seen. I'm a huge fan of Mario Bava. Yeah, this is, uh, you you can watch this on Netflix Instant with a number of other Bava films that are on there. Uh, the main problem with this is the the quality of it is piss poor. That sucks. Yeah. Um, the film itself starts out incredibly strong. Starts out with a woman just running away from from a building, screaming hysterically, and then throws herself on top of an iron gate and kills herself. And the camera just stays on her dead body and the iron gates with all the blood all over it, and then just plays a child laughing over top of it hmm. while it does while it runs through all the credits for like three minutes it's just <laughs> a little kid laughing while there's a dead body stuck on iron gates hmm. and it's like wow we're gonna get some creepy kid action and we do a little bit but not enough really and it's sort of this apparently the the little kid way back bled to death and no one paid any attention to her so there's a curse on the village where she wills people to kill themselves by bleeding to death. Mm. And fun. it's it's meh. I mean, the atmosphere is pretty good with because there's a number of times where you, you you hear the little the little child laughing, which is extremely creepy. And there's this whole thing with a bouncing ball, and it's got some good atmosphere. Just unfortunately, the story is there's. Leaves a lot to be desired. Let's just say it, it's it's kind of tedious. Where does this uh, stand for you and Baba? This is probably the worst that I've seen of his. Mm, okay, this is like uh, in the middle. It's it, it's like to in me the it's like mi- it's, it's like minor Baba. Like it's still a pretty good time if you're a fan of Mario Baba, but it's not like one of his important works or anything. Mm, okay. Um, I saw a documentary called Bound by Flesh. I think I can talk about this. I'm going to anyway. It doesn't come out until, I believe, the 26th of June. But it's basically about pretty pretty typical talking head documentary about con- uh, the famous conjoined twins, Daisy and Violet Hilton. Okay. And it just kind of explores their lives, and it's it's very by the numbers uh it's your you know you have interviews with um people like experts on the whole 
history of sideshows and things like that. Uh, interviews with family members or relatives. Um, and then you mix in the now famous uh, <laughs> panning pictures, like the slideshows that they do nowadays. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's an interesting movie. Cause I didn't really know about these, the, these twins and what their lives were like. I knew who they were because I'm a big fan of Todd Browning's freaks and they were in that movie, but, totally uh, creepy ass movie. I know I love that movie. It, it just kind of goes over how they were exploited as, as young children. And they, I'll tell you, they had a really shitty life. Like they were, when they were born, their mother immediately sold them to someone because she was so appalled by their physical malady, I guess you could say. And she thought because she had them out of wedlock, she thought that it was like God punishing her. Mm, So so she sold them to her boss, who was the owner of a pub and her boss immediately started kind of exploiting them for money. And she, she, exploited them pretty much their entire lives until they were like in their twenties and they finally sued, uh, their, their, uh, guardian and her husband. And then finally got, you know, released from their grasp. Yeah. And then unfortunately by that time, like they had no skills whatsoever because they didn't, they weren't in school all they were taught to do was like sing and dance and play music. So yeah. they had no business skills whatsoever. So by the time they got released, uh, they had no way to manage their money. So they, it was like they were worse off than before. Yeah. But <clears throat> at the height of their career, they were making $5,000 a week in vaudeville. And I did a, I did a, calculation of what that would be now adjusted for inflation and it's over $67,000 a week. Jesus. Yeah. They made so much money and the sad thing is they by the time they were older like in their 40s they were destitute. They had no money at all. Yeah. They they lost everything. So it's it's kind of a tragic story but it's also <laughs> kind of a tragic story. <laughs> Yeah, but it's midget tragedy in there. I say kind of because when they were when they were like on top, you know, they were like mingling with movie stars and, you know, they they had like a huge they lived in a huge mansion. So it's like it's not that their lives were horrible all of the time. Yeah. You know, they just had peaks and valleys. (laughs) But the weird thing is they could have been they probably could have been separated. Because it wasn't where they were conjoined. It was basically just uh, tissue. It was just a a ribbon of tissue that connected uh, them at the waist. Yeah. So they weren't like sharing organs or anything like that. And they probably could have been cut apart and it would have been fine. But they chose not to. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting if you're into that type of thing. The whole, the whole time I was thinking about it, though, was uh, I was thinking, like, this is pretty much still the same as today. You know, we just the medium has changed, 
but we still, as a society, love to gawk at freaks, you know? Oh, yeah. And it, it was funny because I was, like, thinking about, you know, some of these reality TV stars, like uh, Honey Boo Boo, for instance. I don't know if she's still a thing. Is she still, like, relevant? I, I, have, I have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. But I was thinking about her, and I was like, this is exactly what's going to happen to this, this Honey Boo Boo kid. Like, she's going to have all this fame when she's little, and people are going to look at her like she's some kind of freak, and then she's going to grow up, and she's going to be, like, all fucked up because of it. Yeah, probably. More than likely. Hopefully not, but, yeah, probably. Yeah. So, at any rate, Bound by Flesh comes out June 26th, I believe, and that'll be on demand as well as Select Cities. Mm, okay. 20, uh, I'm sorry, I'm the 27th. Let me correct that. The 27th. Get your shit straight. <laughs> All right. I watched another one on Netflix instant because I'm a lazy. Called The Brother from Another Planet. 1984, John Sayles. This is one that I've always like almost watched. I've been almost watching this movie for like the last 13 years. Yeah. And I finally did it. Did it. And you know what it took? Amtrak. I was on the Amtrak. I needed a movie to watch. And it was Brother from Another Planet. There you go. Because, I mean, how often are there, you know, sci-fi movies set in Harlem? Yeah. With a, with a black lead. Mm-hmm. So that, that's ultimately, that's what got me on board. So Joe Morton, who does a pretty fantastic job of playing a mute alien that crash lands in New York City, ends up taking up residence in Harlem. He has the ability to heal things, kind of like Green Mile style with his hands. And his hand glows, and he heals anything, and he can fix anything. He actually ends up getting a job fixing uh, run-down arcade games because he just puts his hand to it and it immediately fixes it. Mm. Yeah, and uh, he sort of goes by the name Three Toe, which he kind of learned because outside of his feet, he looks completely like a normal human being, but his feet just consist of three giant toes, which apparently no one notices, <laughs> and. Two alien white guys come playing like the men in black characters from his home planet. And you kind of find out through like a museum trip and stuff that Three Toe is an escaped slave from this, from this planet. And that these white guys are coming to bring him back. White guys are played by John Sayles and David Strathairn. So you get to see early David Strathairn do some really weird body movements. And at a couple points in the movie, they actually run around like dinosaurs it's screech like velociraptors which is awesome i'm watching the trailer here is uh fisher stevens in this fisher stevens is in this because it looks like a very young fisher stevens very young fisher stevens shows up in the subway joe morton's taking the subway fisher stevens shows up and does a card trick for him this very elaborate story style card trick for no fucking reason and it plays out in real time and then fisher stevens just leaves that's it no more Fisher Stevens. The car trick really has nothing to do with anything. I don't know why it's there, but it is. And that's the problem with this film is I understand that it's an allegory for the immigrant experience in the U.S., but it's extremely elementary in its allegory because essentially it's just, okay, we'll have an alien black guy be an escaped slave from another planet. There's our allegory. Mm. And then, but it gets it gets sidetracked by him like, for some reason, he gets mixed up in this, like, heroin conspiracy and, like, takes down the head of this 
heroin dealer thing for I, who knows why he just it's just something he stumbles upon and he's like yeah this is what i'm gonna do hmm. it's 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 pretty much a mess it's fun but it's a mess so what light recommend for you like a light recommend but pretty much just to see strather and run around like a dinosaur <laughs> i, I kind of want to see that <laughs> yeah you do everyone does i've been watching a lot of uh like festival movies we're going to be covering the dances with films film festival that's coming up so can't really talk about anything that's going to be playing there but i i can talk about the internet's own boy the story of aaron schwartz this comes out the end of this month and it's a documentary about the uh prolific i would say programmer aaron schwartz now if you're not aware of of who this guy was he was one of the co-creators of rss so you know like RSS feeds on websites. He was one of the co-creators of that, which he created when he was 14 years old. He's one of the co he's one of the co-creators of Reddit. He is one of the people that, that helped shape the creative commons license. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's, it's basically like kind of uh, like an internet copyright that a lot of um, content creators will use. That is, it's not as harsh as a full copyright, but it's like it's like kind of halfway. Okay. Like, like a lot of YouTube videos will be under Creative Commons that basically says, you know, you can share this with other people, but you can't sell it and you can't like, you know, call it your own or anything like that. So it's like it, it gives content creators some protection against certain things, but it doesn't lock everything down like a full copyright. Anyway, he was he was one of the people that orchestrated that. Uh, just a huge, huge. He was a, a big internet activist. He was one of the people that was extremely influential in bringing down the SOPA bill that came about. I think it was in 2012, like maybe mid, maybe even early 2012. Because I remember we were running the site at the time, and I remember that we were oh, yeah, yeah. putting out a lot right of here. stuff against SOPA. And he was one of the big influential people that, that helped get that bill squashed. Uh, and he committed suicide uh, last year. And basically, this documentary just goes over his life. Again, it's a pretty typical talking head doc. I knew a lot about this guy because I'm, I'm very into the, the world of technology. Yeah. So I was aware of who he was and what he has done for the internet and for us as a society, really. But there's a lot of people that aren't. And I think that that's where this movie is going to really be be good for people to see. For someone like me, it it was just a lot of stuff that I already knew. But I think that it could be a very influential documentary for other people to see. Hmm. I'm actually interested in this one. I've heard a a couple of stories on... NPR when all of this was happening. Yeah. Because I mean, wasn't he essentially like bullied into committing suicide? Because right. that was really so, his only way to get out of it. Yeah. So what or happened was... At least was, that's what he thought. So what happened was he he was not a hacker in the most common definition. Like he he wasn't somebody like, you know, like the people that run the pirate bay or something that that says like oh everything should be free and all this stuff he he 
what he did was there's a there are certain websites that offer up journals and like scholarly documents and things like that and sometimes universities will have licensing agreements with these sites and offer it offer these vast volumes of information up for free to students and one of the the biggest providers of these documents and journals and books is uh it's called um oh shit i can't remember the name of it j j store and mit had a licensing agreement with j store that allowed students to download any any j store document they wanted for free so what yeah. Aaron Schwartz did was he hooked up a computer to the network at MIT and created a script that would automatically download thousands and thousands and thousands of papers and journals all at once. And he got caught. And they tried to, even though JSTOR didn't press any charges or anything, they stayed out of it. MIT stayed out of it. Uh, our government charged him with 13 felonies and he was facing up to 35 years in prison for doing this even though he was just downloading documents that were already free so he wasn't stealing them or anything like that and basically what happened was he the way that he looked at it was i'm going to jail there's no way i'm going to win this thing so he just killed himself what yeah, it's very, it's, I mean, it's tragic. It's terrible what happened. They were trying to, to make him an example. And it, it's not even something that should have been tried to begin with. And it's, yeah. But if, if one can kind of draw a silver lining on any of this, it's that he really sparked change within the system. And I think that, you know, if anything, that's a good thing that can come of all of this. So, yeah, I definitely recommend checking out The Internet's Own Boy. And that will be available on in theaters and on demand June 27th. So the same day Bound by Flesh comes out. Uh, I watched an odd one. Star Trek Into Darkness. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why I did this. Number one is I thought that this was the first reboot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's the second one. <laughs> I figured that out like 25 minutes into it. But I, so I don't know if like this actually is like a continuation of the first one. Yeah, or, like, did I need to see? Yeah, okay. It would have been helpful. It would have been helpful. I figured. Um, and it's kind of funny or interesting to think of this. We, you know, when I first, when we threw this on, I was thinking to myself, I know nothing about Star Trek. I've never been into Star Trek, never watched any of the Star Trek shows, anything. But in all honesty, thinking about it, there's a lot that I actually do know about Star Trek. Well, yeah, that's... Which yeah. is kind of amazing. Same here. Because, like, no one in my family or friends or anything were into Star Trek. Yeah. But yet, I know a lot about Star Trek. Yep, same here. It's it's kind of crazy. Like, it's I just, like, all in, it's like ingrained. It's just ingrained in our culture. Yeah. And, like, I know the whole, damn it, Jim, I'm not a such-and-such, I'm a doctor, or whatever the hell it is, and the Vulcan death grip and all that. It's like, how do I know this? I bet you knew the the con. 
Yeah, I even yeah. knew that. <laughs> the f- how how do I know that? Uh, yeah, it's right, because it's been it's been like parodied and mocked and referenced so many times. Yeah, that's true. It's probably like, what the hell is that from? Someone's like Star Trek, dumbass. Star Trek, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so for me. It kind of worked not knowing anything because I have like no expectations at all going into this film. Like I just want entertainment. That was like the main reason I put it on. I'm feeling like shit. I just want to be entertained. I don't really want to think that much. What you did a perfect job of. I thought all the performances were pretty great. It's still, I still find it really difficult to take Benedict Cumberbatch as like a tough guy, like action type guy because he just doesn't look the part at all. Right. Um, the effects I thought were great. Um, the only thing that I had a problem with, well, two things that I had a problem with. Number one, the, like the emotional scenes just dragged on for entirely too long. It, it kind of got awkward at certain points and the holy lens flare. Well, that's what it does. I, yeah. I, and I've, I sort of, you know, heard bits and pieces of this is that J.J. Abrams is all about lens flare. And I'm honestly thinking like, oh, he, you know, he probably uses it like once or twice in the film <laughs> well, or whatever. No. no, it's fucking every scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Uh, oh, yeah. And it's not just like, oh, the sun's in the shot, so it's like lens flare. It's like there's 14 lights in the shot and every single one of them provides <laughs> lens flare. It's yeah. just, like holy shit! Yeah, it's crazy. Half the movie has like a blue line going through it. Yeah, like everyone is just bathed in light. It it's honestly it's pretty fucking distracting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm and not a big, I'm not a huge fan of lens flares to begin with. So. No, I'm I'm not either, and especially when you use it this often, because you know that he's like doing it on purpose. Now, there's, like, indie films where, like, lens flare comes in. You're just thinking, oh, you know, they're shooting into the sun. It just sort of happened. Well, you know that he's adding... Those are digitally added lens flares. This guy is just like, ah, it's missing something. Let's put, like, four more lens flares in there, and then let's move on to the next scene. I'm just imagining him sitting in the editing room, and, like, there's, like... the, The film is... It's frozen. It's paused. And he's like, okay, we need a lens flare here. And then we'll put one up here. And then over here, we add another one. Yeah, let's play that back. Let's see. Oh, great. That looks great. Fantastic. I get the feeling that he has like an assistant that just does lens flare. Like the entire movie is finished. You need to- and then he brings, in, he brings in his specialist that just sits down, goes through the whole thing, and just adds lens flare to everything. You gotta look at the credits. That's gotta look at the credits that's the to see final if there's step. a lens flare technician. <laughs> uh, so outside of that, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. I, it was it was much better than I was expecting. I liked honestly. it. I re- I remember liking. It. I don't really remember too much about the movie at all, but I do remember liking it. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I'm gonna remember in a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, I mean that that's just one that's I don't know. It's just kind of a forgettable thing, but it was cool. But it was like. There's certain movies that I will just immediately forget, and Star Trek is one of those. Yeah, and I'm just noticing because I'm watching more of these Hollywood blockbuster types than I usually do. You know me, I don't really watch well, yeah, these which types. Yeah, which is funny. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy that I'm watching Star Trek Into Darkness. It, it's, it's funny to me because it seems like anytime you do watch a big Hollywood movie, you really like it. 
like you, you saw Man of Steel, you really liked it. You saw Godzilla, you really liked it. When people that watch a lot of these Hollywood blockbusters are like, meh, you know, it's like, so it's kind of interesting. Well, and, and that's kind of the thing that I'm, okay, number one, me not knowing anything about Star Trek, I can't dissect it like crazy, you know, which it seems like fanboys have a problem doing, but, you know, they expect so much. So I have no expectations going in. And honestly, Summer Blockbusters is not something that I'm really into. So my expectation going into them is I just want to be entertained. Right. Because I, I still have like the old Hollywood way of thinking where they're just, they're entertainment. They're not supposed to be, you know, highly intelligent with unbelievable scripts. It's just, you know, entertainment purposes. Switch my brain off and just have fun. So I go in with that expectation and it's usually met. But I do see a lot of people, you know, they're complaining about like, oh, character development. I'm not going into these movies expecting any sort of character development. Or, uh, you know, fantastic yeah. writing and great dialogue. I think that there's there's certain ones that I have a certain expectation for. Like all the Marvel Studios movies, for instance. There's There are, what, eight of those now or something? So I have a set expectation for those movies. Like... They set the bar very high with those movies. So anytime they come out with a release that is lacking in plot or character development, that's going to be a problem for me because I, I won't be able to get past that. Even if it's like just a fun movie, I'll still be like, well, yeah, but I mean, look at, you know, Captain America, Winter Soldier, whatever, and be like, they did it so much better in that. So yeah. that's I think that that's the other thing is that people that see a lot of these Hollywood blockbusters have a frame of reference to compare. Whereas for, for people that don't see a lot of these, you know, big budget blockbusters, you know, if the only movie you see this summer is Godzilla, then yeah, of course it's going to be the best movie this summer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing too is out of all of these that I've seen, you know, these summer blockbuster types, the one that I found, you know, the least enjoyable and, probably the most tedious to get through was the Avengers. Like I thought the Avengers was just sort of meh and boring. Yeah. And I, everything else I've liked a lot, a lot more than the Avengers. And, I think that that's probably the worst one I've seen so far. And, and I, I love the Avengers and maybe it's because you saw some of the lead up films, but not all of them. Right. Yeah. Maybe that was part of it. I don't, I don't know, but I don't either. either way, Pretty interesting. Do you have anything else? I don't have anything else I want to talk about. No, I don't either. All right, let's go ahead and talk about A Million Ways to Die in the West. Uh, I have a synopsis here. As a cowardly farmer begins to fall for the mysterious new woman in town, he must pull his newfound courage to put his newfound courage to the test when her husband, a notorious gunslinger, announces his arrival. This is written and directed by Seth MacFarlane. Uh, it also stars... Charlize Theron, Amanda Seyfried, Liam Neeson, Giovanni Ravisi, Neil Patrick Harris, or Sarah Silverman. So I wrote a review for this on the site. So we'll start with you, Kevin. But first, I wanted to just quickly mention. So we talked about this uh, off the air before you saw it. So when I when I t was talking to you about it, I was like, oh, there's a couple like throwaway lines that I wrote down that I thought were pretty funny. And I read your letterbox review uh, last Are they night. All and the very first thing that I wrote when I was trying to make sure that I remembered them was, my bones feel really deep today. 
And I thought, that was to me that's the funniest thing in this entire movie. And it was so funny because when I saw it and th- when that scene happened, he's like, oh, my bones feel really deep today. I was laughing hysterically in the theater. No one else was. And then it's, and then I was like, what did that? Did nobody else think that that was funny? Like, was am I the only one that picked up on that and thought it was funny? And then as soon as I read your letterbox review, I was like, yes, <laughs> I was fist that, pumping. To me, also, that was without a doubt the funniest thing in this entire movie yeah and so there's not a lot that's funny in this movie right so we'll since i wrote the review we'll start with you what did you think of million ways to die in the west um i was trepidatious going in because i read your review which i knew we talked about this too that you were you were kind of afraid that i would read your review and just say nope not happening <laughs> not gonna see it which i really i didn't want to see it mostly based off your review and seeing that it had like a 33% or something going into it. So I was like, but I just really want to go to the movies. And my God, this is this is tough to sit through. <laughs> to me, I mean, this is this was getting to like year one territory where I just I felt really bad for everyone involved. And I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, they're trying. They're trying. Poor guys. I think year, like the, I the think pace, year one the is pace, a- it's a really good comparison, year one. Yeah, I mean, there's just, it's just joke after joke after joke. And honestly, like 75% of these jokes are just lazy as shit. They're just so lazy. And it's not that, I mean, they might be funny, even though I didn't think they were funny. Yeah, But I also feel like the delivery of a lot of the jokes was just very bland. Like they weren't even invested in the jokes that they were telling. And a lot of the a lot of the scenes just played out entirely too long, and it just sort of felt like they were riffing on whatever the you know the concept was at the time, and it just it just didn't work. The pacing's terrible. It's entirely too long. I honestly thought it wasn't going to end. Yeah. And you even warned me of that going in. And at one point, I was like, "Fuck, this movie is not going to end." And then I remembered, like, "Oh, they still got to do like the Native American scene," and then. You know, he trips the light fantastic, and then they got to tie it together, and I was like, fuck. It already felt like three hours long. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, it's, oof, it's rough. It is It is a rough movie. Like, so, it comes in at under two hours, but it feels It does not so feel like that at all. fucking long. And I think that the problem with that is the, the plot is so generic and dull and the characters are so dry and bland, and you don't care about anything that's happening in this movie. No. Half the jokes, and like you said, half the jokes don't land, and it's just, it's a bore. It is a boring-ass movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it should be said, I'm a, I'm a fan of Seth MacFarlane for the most part. You know, I, I pretty much do like his work, but this just feels like a lot of, it almost feels like a, like they did this, like it consists of all rejected Family Guy sketches, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, let's let's throw it into a million ways to die in the West. Let's do it." I've been wanting to do all these Western jokes. Well, and everyone far- keeps telling me no, so fuck it. Now I have money. I'm doing it. As far as the jokes, I liked all of the jokes that were pertaining to the West. Like I thought that a lot of those were funny. Like the. Uh, the running gag of the people not smiling in photos. Like I thought, yeah. th- I thought that was funny. 
and especially when he was like looking at at the pictures and everybody looks so depressed and angry and i thought that that was funny and there were like several running jokes throughout this movie that just every time they brought it up I was like all right like the whole the subplot with sarah silverman and giovanni ravisi none of that worked for me no like i no. was like oh wow sarah silverman's playing somebody who's cute and raunchy at the same time i get it like she, yeah. that's what she does in everything and i like sarah silverman don't get me wrong but yeah that's the problem is that there's running jokes that run on for entirely too long like they come back to it yeah again and they'll and, riff on it for like five minutes and you're like i get it i get it people don't smile in pictures i fucking got right, it right exactly like the first the Move first on. two times maybe worked and then but they keep going with it and it's like all right like um, there were there were certain other western type jokes that they made that I thought were funny, and I liked when they actually showed people dying in ridiculous ways. But the problem with that is all of them are in the trailer, so none of those were really a surprise. I thought it was some of the the reactions that Seth MacFarlane would have, like when the mayor was being dragged away by the wolves. I thought was funny. That and was I, the other problem, though too is those got tiresome very quickly you know when something would happen and he would yell out like holy shit or whatever it was it's just like i fucking get it i get it i liked uh one of the one of the other things i liked was when he was mentioning about like the the health care back then and he mentioned something about oh you have a a cut let me just get a blue jay to pick out the the whatever and then they did that montage where they showed the blue jay pecking in his face i thought that was funny yeah unfortunately for me they're just there wasn't and you know what's even worse is okay i saw it uh it wasn't a very packed theater there's maybe 10 12 people in there out of all the jokes in this damn movie the one where everyone just lost it and couldn't stop laughing their ass off was, was neil patrick <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. and i was just I'm just shaking my head like, uh, why? Yeah, why? I, I did not think that that... I didn't laugh at that at all. I didn't think that that was funny. There's a lot of dick and fart jokes in this. And just, I didn't I didn't think that any of those worked. Like I told you, the only one that, that I laughed at was also in the trailer where his dad farts and says that came out of my penis. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. Uh, yeah, there was... I enjoyed them fake fighting when the bar oh yeah that's right broke that out. was funny that was funny I liked uh, Giovanni Ravisi's dancing I yeah that for whatever reason that is just the most bizarre thing I've ever seen and it's hilarious every time yep need to be more of that I hated a I hated the uh, the Back to the Future I thought that that was just one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It felt out of place because it was, it was really st- it's essentially just Seth MacFarlane being like, huh, you remember that? I would have been you okay with that from our childhood. I would have been cool. okay with that if there was more if there were more things like that in the movie. You know what I mean? Like it just it felt it didn't it felt really out of place to me. Yeah. If they did other things like that, like at the end, the the Django thing at the end. Yeah. Like if they had more stuff like that in there. Then it then it would have made more sense to me. Uh, the drug trip scene I hated. I thought it was mm-hmm. absolutely awful. And did you notice in the trailer they show a scene where he's in a hot air balloon and he's like f- 
falling down and like there's like fire all around him. I didn't see that in this. No, there was a lot from the trailer that wasn't in this. Yeah. Because there was that whole way there, you know, they're burying that kid and he's like, yeah, Splinter Doc, what could you do? Yeah. And I thought that was funny. And which is crazy to think of. We already think that this movie's entirely too long. Exactly. That's, yeah. God awful. That's what I said. There's stuff that got cut out that we didn't even get to see. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the trailer that got cut out. So it's like, God, how how long do you think this fucking thing was? <laughs> oh, Jesus. And I think, like you said earlier, the plot is so generic and just terrible. And it does seem like McFarlane spends too much time like trying to wring emotion out of this plot that you don't really give a shit about right, Like that was That was one of the issues I had. Like The Neil Patrick Harris diarrhea scene happens right before the scene where he's having this like really emotional moment with Charlize Theron where they're saying they love each other and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, how am I supposed to take this seriously when I just saw a guy having a diarrhea dump in a dude's hat? (laughs) (laughs) Two two dudes hats. Yeah. Two dudes hats. And it's like, okay, if you're going to go goof spoof, then fucking go goof spoof. You know, don't, don't try to pull in this shit. Don't bring in this like, sentimental stuff like if you're gonna make it goofy and outrageous then then stick with it don't try to put in this stuff where because i mean do we really even care about seth mcfarlane's character and that's the problem is like his the whole plot is about him you know he's dumped in the beginning and he just fucking complains the entire movie about how he's such a great guy even though you're never given evi- any evidence that he is, yeah. all he does is fucking talk, talk constantly and bitch and complain. And then at the end, he's like, oh, every woman I've ever loved has disappointed me. And I'm like, what the f- fuck you, man? Your character <laughs> is fucking terrible. And you want me to give a shit about you? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Liam Neeson didn't have a whole lot to do in this. Wasn't why, funny. Why the fuck was he there? Wasn't funny at all. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, just an insane disappointment because I feel like there was a lot of potential here. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I feel and like it was just completely squandered by bad editing and bad storytelling. And this movie is in desperate need of an editor. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. So trying to think of other things to add. I'm trying to think if there's this anything is, else that made me laugh. I, I enjoyed Red Flannel. Oh, yeah. In the, ton, in the tonic elixir. Yes, that, that, parts, that was fun. Is there, there's shirt in here? Bits of shirt. <laughs> and what's 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 mercury, mercury with chalk? Science. Yeah, I enjoyed the, those. I liked the little line about Kansas City. I thought that was funny. This is with the, honestly the first movie in ages where i wanted to walk out about half an hour in i just wanted to leave the theater i'll tell you i stayed i stayed for you adam oh i I went to i went to a screening on thursday and there was like maybe four or five other groups in the theater and the group that was sitting next to me was the most annoying oh my god they were so annoying they were laughing at all of the dumbest things and they kept making 
the guy in the group kept making weird mouth noises and he would like burp really loudly and then that would make everybody else in their group laugh and it was just like come on <laughs> jesus christ <sighs> and the whole time i'm thinking yep that group sums up this whole movie for me oh, burping boy. burping and laughing at stupid shit like literal shit but i think i want to say that i like spoof movies like i'm not opposed to dumb comedy like mm-hmm. i think if the, it's done right though i think that blazing saddles has a lot of dumb comedy in it i love the airplane oh. movies i love hot shots i think that stupid comedy can be effective and and I, i'm not like i think that fart jokes can be funny when they're done right but with this movie it was just like so little of it actually landed for me like when the yeah. like when well, the sheep pissed on him and you saw like the penis and it was like, oh my god, it's a sheep penis. That's so outrageous. <laughs> oh boy. This is outrageous. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane has gone too far. Oh, he's so edgy. Which is funny because I re I rewatched Blazing Saddles this week. Ten times edgier. Yeah. Like I th- I said in my letterbox review, is for as much as McFarlane thinks that he's edgy and controversial. I honestly think that Blazing Saddles couldn't be made today. I agree. With the stuff that they have in there. Yeah, we, a million we ways talk- to die. Easily. I mean, we haven't seen shit before. Wow. Yeah, we talked about that on uh, last week's Ryan Watches movie, and we both predicted that there's no way that this is going to be edgier than Blazing Saddles. And the only edgy joke that I can recall in this movie was the one, the the carnival game where it was, you shoot the runaway slave. That was the yeah. only thing that I think could be considered edgy. That one. And there was a nice little line where he's, uh, where they were talking about, uh, Indians. It's like, we're pretty much split. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's also kind of an offhanded line that Giovanni Ravisi says about how his uncle like molested him when he was young. Yeah. But that's but all even I can like really at think. the very end when he does the you know he says that he's Arabic and he has to do the death chant oh yeah or whatever and then she comes over and she says that she's half Jewish and they're like what really I mean those things I'm starting to think that a lot of these uh, jokes that he do that he does that are you know like racially charged they're so lazy that I'm just starting to think that they're not even fucking jokes is that he's just kind of racist. <laughs> Like he just uh, like he stereotypes the shit out of people, which is probably not true, but he just does it so often, and they're so fucking lazy. Yeah. Oh, there's also that. I mean, come on. Also, the the scene when Charlie Theron reveals that she was married to uh to him when she was nine. I thought that that yeah. was like, yeah, I guess that could be considered edgy, but it still didn't. None of it worked at all. No. So no. there you have it. I gave Million Ways to Die in the West a four and a half, I think, on the site out of ten, which is uh, I gave it a two out of five on Letterbox. What do you What are you gonna give it? Uh, I started off with a three. I was at a three, but I'm down to thinking about <laughs> it. You know, in preparation for this podcast and just talking about it now, I'm down to like a one. Yeah. Like I'd honestly never want to see this movie ever again. This was just terrible experience. Yeah, it's a shame because Ted was quite good. Like I, I thought the Ted was really funny, really clever, and this was nothing like that. No. 
I think the big thing is just disappointment because I, I was excited for it, and I, I wouldn't I say that well. I wouldn't say that I had high expectations, but I was really hoping because it's got a great cast. I, I am a fan of Seth MacFarlane. I think that he's very funny, and I wanted to see a comedy western. We don't have too many of those, and I thought that the premise. Like making fun of just how harsh and horrible it was in the West back then. That's a really good premise, but I don't feel yeah, but like, that's they, like they didn't capitalize yeah, on that at all. You no, know, it's thrown out in like the first ten minutes. Yeah, which which sucks. And I mean, and, it's so it's so lazily depicted too. It's just like there's a lot of ways to die in the West. Let me tell you. <laughs> and then they show you, and then they're like, "That's it. We 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 fulfilled that." Let's move on to a terrible plot that you don't give a shit about. Let's move on to a love story. An unlikely couple. <laughs> yeah, it's very, uh, very disappointing. So, many ways to die in the West. Playing in theaters now. I don't think it's doing very well. I know that critics ripped it to shreds, and I don't think it's doing very well at the box office. So No, I don't think so at all. You put that on your top ten predictions? I think I fucking did. <laughs> I didn't. So I'm glad uh, you had to rub that you had to rub that in, didn't you? <laughs> so, bitch. We'll we'll see how how that turns out. I don't I don't know. It's anybody's game at this point, but Alright, let's move on and talk about a a smaller but much better film. At least in my opinion, we are the best. So this is a Swedish film directed by Lucas Moodyson. The synopsis says three girls in 1980s Stockholm decide to form a punk band despite not having any instruments and being told by everyone that punk is dead. Uh, so Kevin, we, we have a review for this up on the site. Ernie reviewed it. I'll start it off. I, I like this a lot, but... The thing about it is it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Mm-hmm. So I was expecting a masterpiece. I was expecting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greatness. Yeah. I was expecting this to be like the most amazing movie I've seen all year. And I guess that's my own fault. I shouldn't have like set those expectations so high. And I don't mean to say that I disliked the movie by any means. I thought it was great. But it didn't blow me away. I was... I was very entertained by it. I thought that the characters were really uh, endearing. I liked the the cinematography. I liked a lot how it had this kind of handheld. Uh, almost felt like a Duplass Brothers movie, where they it did, did a the, little bit even 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 with the the quick the zooms, quick zooms. Yeah, which I actually hate. I hated the cinematography. But. I see. I'm a big fan of the quick zooms. So I I was I liked all that stuff. Um, you know, the music was, the soundtrack was great, of course. And growing up, I was a big fan of, of punk music. So there was a lot that I could relate to, even though these are like young girls in the 80s in Stockholm. There was a lot of, uh, I could see myself in them a lot. Yeah. Which is funny because, you know, essentially these girls are just big posers. <laughs> and that's what I was. See, that's what... Uh... That's a, see, that's what my favorite thing about punk is how it's so like about or it tries to be about anti-conformity, but yet they've but set you have themselves to, up yeah, that but you have to conform you to have their to idea of what exactly. punk is. And it's funny because fucking punk was manufactured by businessmen. So you think that it's not, you know, process manufactured music, but it fucking is. Sex Pistols were put together 
by businessman. And then they came up with punk, you know, attire to sell. So it's all manufactured. Yeah. But but I just, I love that. I love that whole idea where it's like, because to me, a lot of times it seems like punk is more, more judgmental than any other (laughs) musical genre. (laughs) But, but at the same time, really, when you look at punk, it, it, I think that it, is an outlet for people like young adolescents who are you know growing up and they have a lot of anger they have a lot of angst and it's kind of a a way to express that yeah so at the same time i mean yes i agree that that everything that about punk being non-conformist and non-fascist and all this stuff like it's ridiculous like and yeah th- th- that's what this <laughs> that's what this movie conveys like the the fuck reagan like all that stuff and like how these are 12 13 year old girls who are bitching about pollution and stuff that they clearly know nothing about and that they're just doing it because that's what is done in punk well, music. I, I and i think it's kind of funny that the head mom does actually kind of point it out a little bit with the whole, you know, how they force cut her hair. And they're, you know, she tells them that they, she's going to force them to go to church. And she's like, you can't make us do that. She's like, doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> it's like, yeah, the, you know, the shit that you complain about, you guys do just as much. But at the same time, it was, I think it was kind of funny how they put those little dicks in there. I mean, I don't think it was really to, you know, done in sort of, a rude way i just thought it was kind of funny added to a lot of the humor about how when they're they're talking about her you know like maybe joining the band and they're like yeah you know we'll just tell her that she can't like god or she can't be our friend <laughs> and they thought that that was like perfectly normal like yeah it's as easy as that and they immediately start trying to get her to basically denounce god and say that he doesn't exist <laughs> well what did what did you think of the movie i I enjoyed it. I would, much like you, I was thinking that this was going to be like an absolute masterpiece. Like it was just going to blow my socks off. But once, you know, I got into the movie a little bit and I sort of realized that it wasn't going to play out the, that way, that this was going to be more of just like a fun, entertaining. Yeah, it's like a coming yeah, of bre- like a story. Yeah, like a breezy, fun film. And then, you know, dropping down to that expectation, it was much better. Because I thought the performances were amazing. The the three leads, the you know the all girl punk band, mm-hmm. there and the way that the cinematography is done with you know with the slightly shaky camera work handheld, it sort of gave off. It was it felt like a documentary, right? Yeah, because their their performances are so natural. Mm-hmm. It just it feels like you're just following them around. It doesn't feel like a film at all, really. Right, and you, you even see that when they're having like conversations with their family members and stuff like around the dinner table and stuff like that. It just feels very natural and, and real. Yeah, just everything sort of feels just off the cuff improvising, really. I don't know if it is, but that's the feeling I got from it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was or not, but yeah, I got that feeling too. And I like one of the things I liked is the fact that they were not only Hedvig was the one who was she was musical the other ones they didn't even know what was going on no and i and i like that like because there's i feel like there's too many movies where they get together a band and all of a sudden they're amazing you know yeah like they weren't good and i and i love how their first like performance for the public played out i'm not gonna say what happened but i I thought that that was like really fitting of this movie Mm -hmm. and it felt much more 
believable than what we see yeah. in something like School of Rock, for instance, at the end when they're just like amazing. Yeah. They're the greatest band that's ever lived. I, yeah, I do like the ending with their their first public performance because it does sort of, to an extent, encapsulate what punk is and, supposed and, and to be that's, about. Yeah, that's, you know, a, like, that's the other thing I was going to say. You, we're having fun. That's the other thing I was going to say. Like a lot of the big punk bands back in the day, they couldn't play. Like Sid Vicious didn't know how the fuck to play a bass. Like he had no idea. He just kind of, you know, wings. He was picked. He was picked out because he looked punk. That's what I'm saying. That it's it's manufactured. The guy had no idea how to play a bass, but they were like, oh, he he fits he fits the bill of what we're looking for. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. Well, with the whole Sid Vicious thing, like he was. He was a fan of the Sex Pistols back when they had their other bass player, and he would go to all their shows, and he was always like the most uh, violent and aggressive person in the crowd. He's the one that basically invented that pogoing where you jump up and down because he was yeah. short, and he was always in the back and he couldn't see. But anyway, yeah, you're right. But but yeah, I mean, Sex Pistols are kind of like the first boy band. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess you could say that. Yeah, I mean, McLaren put them together. But when you when you look at the history of punk, there's a lot of arguments over where it, where it started. Yeah, and, yeah, and the, what, yeah, that's true. That's what true. designates punk? And because really, like, you, you can say like the Talking Heads are a punk band, or Iggy Pop, or any of these other well, yeah, like it, early like you know early '70s rock bands. Well, um, even '60s because Iggy and the Stooges. Well, was, yeah, I think their first album was '68, '69. They're definitely punk. I would say MC5 is definitely punk. Yeah, and so there's I think that there's a lot of arguments over what constitutes punk, you know, is it is it necessarily is it the style of music, is it the look, you know, what like what what is punk rock? And and I think more than I think, any, I, think that, I think that's the thing that just that I find funny is because it seems like they put so much thought into that where it's just like you just it's really easy. You listen to music and you either you like it or you don't like it. Like that's that's it. Why do we have to have all these pretenses about like what the performers look like? Well, and that's what I think do they that, do, you know, how do they live their life? You either like the music or you don't. Let's keep it simple. And I think that maybe that's part of what goes along with what was happening in this movie where everybody was telling them like punk's dead and it's punk began to quote unquote die when it started becoming super commercialized and it actually became a defined genre where you, when you say, Oh, that's a punk band. You have a, an image in your head of the kind of music they yeah. play and how they look. And that's really when the concept of punk music died because that's when it, it was, it had a definition. Whereas before it was more, it was more of a concept than a specific genre yeah does that make sense i think so it's more of just like an overall attitude right where it's just fuck you i'm gonna do what i want yeah which is the way it should be and then you have like all these other bands that are starting to come in and then they're it was like the second generation of of punk that came in and they were just doing these like political songs just because that's what they're supposed to do and they're supposed to come out against you know the government and all this stuff when you when you look at how punk rock started there were legitimate reasons for people to sing songs about 
things that were happening. I did. I want to get back to the movie real quick. I did enjoy when they were kind of jamming out in the house and Clara's dad comes in with a oh clarinet. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's so f- did you see the, the the thing at the end credits when he's sitting on the toilet playing the clarinet? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you watched it through the credits, they showed him sitting on the toilet playing the clarinet. <laughs> I love I loved her parents. I thought her parents were great. They were really funny. They were, they were fantastic. And that's kind of the other thing about this movie is that it's about these girls who they're not very well liked in their school. They're picked on, and they they kind of they find punk music, and they that's what they that's their outlet, you know. Yeah. And. I don't understand why Clara was having such a problem. Like her parents were awesome, <laughs> but Bobo, I well, can't you, understand. I mean, you're a teenager. You yeah, I know. You, you hate your parents no matter what. It's the hip thing to do. Hate your parents. Which no I guess is makes no one. No one. No one wants to hang out. You know, with a person that's just constantly like, my parents are so fucking cool. They're the best. <laughs> uh, no one wants to hear that shit. Either way, I thought that it was. It was a funny movie. It was very heartwarming. It was very light. There wasn't My any. My heart ca- was warmed. Yeah, I mean, it's not a real heavy movie, which I was glad to see. Like, I was, I was a little worried there for a second though, because you know Bobo gets a little oh, yeah. downtrodden. Yeah. I thought at, towards the end there, and then she's like, listen to music that's just talking about like death and everything. I thought and they I'm were like, gonna go. Oh, fuck, don't, don't go dark with this. Please don't go. I can't handle that. And they don't. I kind of ruined it for people, but whatever. Yeah, I thought that they were gonna go. <laughs> I thought that they were gonna go dark at one point, and they they didn't. And I was very glad that they didn't go there with it because there's there's so many movies that are like this that do go that direction. But yeah, and I think that that's what's refreshing about this movie is it seems like all coming of age films nowadays are just they're so dark, and it just it looks terrible. You know, like just thinking about people like growing up, I'm just I'm thinking of awful things all the time now because that's really all I see in movies nowadays. Yeah, and so it was actually refreshing to see like, oh, they're having fun. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, not all kids have these terrible experiences happen to them when they're children. Sometimes kids just have small, you know, bumps in the road, but overall have fun childhood and it's funny because me and my wife were talking about this because we already kind of dislike coming of age movies and the main reason is no one has a childhood that could i think can be granted like a coming of age like it i've never heard of anyone like oh that's when i came of age right that's when i realized everything no it's just fucking gradual and it's for the most part it's uneventful and then next thing you know you have no idea what the fuck to do with your life and you're like 19 years old. Yeah, I mean, it's it's rare that it's one event that yeah. makes this happen. I'm sure that with a lot with some people that does happen, you know? Yeah, but, but it the, just seems the like the part, number of the number of coming of age movies that we have kind of seems kind of seems it seems a bit too much. A bit too many coming of age movies. I like coming of age movies, but Sometimes, I mean, a lot of times they do fall into a, a formula, but this this doesn't. This kind of looks at the sum of all the parts rather than just one specific event, and I, and that's 
refreshing to me. I felt that the characters, the three main characters, were all different, and they all had their own unique personalities, which I liked. Mm -hmm. And it was like they shared common interests, but they were each their own person. And I thought that that was really nice, too. They felt like they could be friends in real life. That's right. That's what it's about. That's what it's about, Adam. Friendship? It's all about friendship. Yeah. Just being there for each other. Yeah. Force cutting hair. Force cutting hair. (laughs) (laughs) I thought her hair looked good when it was short. I did too. I thought that the I thought the I thought the force cut worked out. Yeah, I thought that all three of them looked like boys. And when I I remember when I first saw a a still image of this movie, this was like way 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 back. I thought that they were boys, but yeah, I definitely thought Bobo was a boy. Well, that's the other Which... thing I liked about this movie is that they weren't they didn't feel like Hollywood versions of twelve and thirteen year old kids. They they looked and acted like real kids. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's sort of, it it has the feel of a documentary because they're the performances from the three leads are just so natural and realistic that you just feel like there's a camera crew following these girls around as they try and make a punk band. Something tells me that a lot of this had to be just like off the cuff because especially when they the scenes where it shows them just like running around like through the subway and different areas outside and just you know messing with each other. Like it just feels yeah. it feels very real. It does. It does. All right. Any other thoughts on We Are the Best? Uh if if you're looking for a good time, nice breezy film, just lighthearted, it's definitely probably the best one of the year so far, I think. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was really, really it was fantastic. It was just a fantastic fun movie. I loved it. There you go. Uh, what more do you need? What are you going to give this out of 10? Oh. Oh. I'm going 8. I'm, I'll say that. I was. I think I might go 8. I might, really, the only thing I didn't like was the cinematography. But I didn't think it was... It was kind of Duplass Brothers, but not as much. You know what I mean? It wasn't like every five minutes it was a quick zoom. Well, the... The, they're uh, just like it seems like they don't know how to work the zoom and they're just constantly fiddling with it yeah the zoom it wasn't that bad it was more understated too like they didn't because with the duplass brothers they go way in with the zoom yeah. and they go way out real fast with this it was it was much more subtle but st- it was still noticeable but i like <laughs> i like that so weirdo i just think it looked, I, I don't know why <laughs> i just like it there you go. There you go. Uh, we are the best is playing in select cities now. So if it's playing in your area, I would say go go check it out. Let's talk about yeah, some. If you're, if you're thinking about million ways to die in the West, uh, we are the best. You're gonna have a lot more fun with we are the best. Oh yeah, absolutely. Go see that one instead. Uh, let's go over some predictions. Million ways to die in the West. You said seventy four. <laughs> <laughs> wishful thinking yeah jesus i said 78 wow actual 33 <laughs> god wow way off on that one we're, we're normally not that far off no we're not that was that's rough maleficent you said 62 i said 73 actual 50 we, this is a good week for us <laughs> tore it up yeah well you you won both of those i think i won both of them last week but uh, did but did I really? But did, did you really I win? Really no, win? the answer is no. <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow next week. 
Uh, I'm gonna say, I'll say 62. Mm. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go 74. Okay, and then the other wide release is The Fault in Our Stars. Ooh. Young adult. Young adult novel. Mm. Yeah, this is, a, this is a tricky oh, yeah. one. This is a tricky one. Could go either I way. No I have no idea. I'm going to go 78. I'll what, say 70? 74. I have no desire to see it, but I don't know. No, me Limited release next week. We have a ton of stuff. So Jeez. be sure to check your listings. Uh, we have Willow Creek, which is the latest Bobcat Goldthwait movie. Uh-huh. It's a uh, found footage about Bigfoot. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. I don't know. I see nowadays if you say found footage, I'm done. I'm not watching anymore. I'm sorry, just not doing it. I'll. I'm I would be in. interested to check it out just because it's Bobcat. I'm putting the kibosh on found footage movies. What about or at least me watching them? What about uh, this week? They announced that Lionsgate will be distributing Matt Johnson's latest film uh operation avalanche and it's a found footage god damn yeah but you haven't seen the dirties yet you need to get on that no i haven't okay i'm gonna leave it open to the dirties i'll do the dirties because i think that is actually on that it is now yeah it is all right i'll 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 allow that one and then i'll i'll come back to it okay i'll see if the kibosh is still in effect or not the kibosh so it's all up to the dirties oh boy Okay. This, this kibosh is hinging on the dirties. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, no pressure. I'll I'll email Matt and tell him. Let I'm him sure he'll, I'm sure he'll be interested to know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, we have Obvious Child, which is the Jenny Slate abortion comedy, <laughs> <laughs> and I I highly recommend seeing this. Very very funny. Probably one of the funniest movies of the year. I'm just happy that we're able to say that now abortion comedy yeah it, it is it is an abortion was, comedy that... and it's done in such a funny way like it doesn't feel wrong or dirty up up until this year you couldn't say that that didn't really exist yeah you couldn't be like hey do you see that new abortion comedy nope also we have trust me which is um that's a comedy with uh what's his name colson agent colson from i don't know why i can't think of his name right now Clerk, Clerk Greg? Yeah, yeah, Clerk Greg. Uh, Ty West, The Sacrament, Borgman, which Borgman. we both recommend. Ping Pong Summer, which uh, I think we can both recommend. Yeah, yeah. Rigor Mortis, which uh, light recommend, very light recommend. Very visually pleasing, but somewhat lacking in plot. Super gotcha. Supermensch, which is the Mike Myers documentary. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm interested in that. That's... Uh, one about uh what's his name shep gordon yeah citizen coke which is a documentary about the coke brothers i'll follow you down not sure what that is i can't remember bert's buzz bert's buzz which is a documentary about the about bert from bert's bees see there's 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 too many documentaries (laughs) dude there's too many there are docs docs on top of docs on top of docs (laughs) Soon there's going to be docs about docs. There probably is already docs about docs. Yeah, we're going to get stuck in this like wormhole of documentaries. It's going to be too much. Get back to, I want to just come back to, I'll follow you down real quick because you're saying, I'm not sure what this is. There's two people in this movie. One, Haley Joel Osment. 
Oh, I do. I did see a trailer. He's the this. lead. Yeah. He's the lead in Jillian Anderson. That's right. So. I, I did see a trailer for that. Jillian yeah. Anderson's, the, both of them are back, man. They're back. Fucking 90s making a comeback. Jillian Anderson's in, in Hannibal, the, the show Hannibal, and she's mm-hmm. fantastic in it. I, I enjoy when Jillian Anderson just pops up in foreign movies that I'm watching. <laughs> she's great. Because occasionally she'll just pop up, and I'm like, ah, oh, Jillian Anderson. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Yeah, <laughs> uh, cool. Also, the case against eight comes out. That's the HBO doc about Prop Eight. Prop Eight. Prop Eight. Uh, on Blu-ray or on uh, video on demand next week, we have the last. Oh my god! So many movies. I know. There's a ton coming out next week. We have the last light. Disconnected, which is a documentary about technology. That's the other thing. Docs about technology. What is going uh, on here? We've had like, there's just so many docs about technology. Yeah. Enough. It's entirely too many. Dust of War, which I don't know too much about. Probably uh, a documentary about war dust. <laughs> war dust. <laughs> a documentary about war dust. <laughs> Probably. I mean, there's documentaries about, like, fucking chicken wings and shit. I did watch a documentary called Wicker Kittens, which is about (laughs) competitive jigsaw puzzling. (laughs) It sounds like you made that up. No, I didn't. I totally didn't. It's a documentary called Wicker Kittens. It's not out yet. There needs to be, like, a government oversight committee. Like, you have to go to them and say, okay, I'm going to make a documentary. This is what I'm going to make it about. And then people vote on it. Yeah, it's so we can kind of put some of this. We need to stop this. I, I feel like uh, I feel like with Kickstarter and Indiegogo, it's just been ridiculous the amount of docs that are being funded and coming out. Uh, on video on demand, we also have a long way down, ping pong summer. I'll follow you down. Okay, those are two different movies. A long way down, and I'll follow you down. <laughs> <laughs> Rigor Mortis and another horror movie called Torment. We have a review for that up on the site, but I, I didn't see it. Ernie saw it like two years ago. Mm. On video or on DVD and Blu-ray, Lone Survivor. Don't recommend it. Parts per Billion. Don't know too much about that. I think that's like a make a post-apocalyptic thing, maybe. When I when I don't know what a movie is, I just say I think it's a post-apocalyptic thing. Uh, it does have Josh Hartnett, Jim nice. Rollins, Rosario Dawson. Hmm. So there you go. Okay. I never heard of that though. Yeah. RoboCop, the remake comes out. Son of God and Super Duper Alice Cooper. Hmm. Interested in that one? Alice Cooper doc? Not. Not really. The only time, I, the only thing I would be interested in is his early days with Frank Zappa. That's it. I think that that it, I think it is about his early days. Is it? Before so. he went all, before he all went showman, glam. I, th- I think so. Theater stuff. I think so, but I'm not sure. I just don't like the title. Yeah, that is a terrible. Yeah, that's a terrible title. Well, I think that that will bring us to a close. For all the latest film news reviews, visit filmpulse.net. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net, and we'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at FilmPulseNet and be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For FilmPulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie.
it, so I brought it. Then got myself into a whole heap of trouble, double caused by the law, so it's nobody to run to. Yeah, it's just me and my song, shotgun, outlaw, call them never face. I'm headed for the west, where you got a couple banks in town, it ain't the nails up yet, but look, I ought to make it by sundown. I figure that's enough time for me to get the whole rundown. Mm. You said Kevin Smith, and I just started <laughs> you thinking tuned about out. other things. <laughs> I started thinking about other things. Like I don't blame grocery you. Grocery shopper. Don't blame you. <laughs>